such a blessing to me. The scripture reading and the prayer. So blessed by the prayer. Revelations 2. And I'm going to deal with the third church tonight. Pergamus. Pergamus. In verse 12. And to the angel of the church in Pergamus write. These things saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges. I know thy works and where thou dwellest. Even where Satan's seed is. And thou holdest fast my name and hast not denied my faith. Even those days wherein Antipas Antipas was my faithful martyr who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. But I have a few things against thee. Because there hast them there that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. So also hast thou them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which I think I hate. Repent, or else I will come quickly unto thee, and will fight against thee with the sword of my mouth. <clears throat> he that hath an ear to hear, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that received it. It's the third third of the seven letters to the churches in Asia. In Asia. And I've told you Asia is where Turkey is now. And this particular city here where Pergamos was located, it was the capital of that province of Rome when Rome ruled the world in Asia at that time. And this city, just like every other city, had a multiplicity of gods. That means they had lots and lots of gods. And they had lots of them. They had a God of healing. It's like Paul when he stood on Mars Hill. He seen an altar to all these different gods. He seen an altar to all the gods of rain, the God of thunder, the God of hate, and, and all my, the God of fertility and all these different gods. And he said, and then he looked at one. He said, there's an altar over there. It says, to the unknown God. And just in case we missed one, we put up an altar said, the unknown God. And Paul said, that one you don't know, that's the one we'll tell you about. And that's what these folks were going through right here. They had all kinds of gods over there. They had one that's called uh, a Suyulepsis. He is worshipped under the emblem of a serpent. And to believers, the very symbol of Satan is a serpent. First time you see a serpent mentioned in the scriptures, it was the devil. And he deceived our mother Eve. And we became sinners by that one act. And so here being the capital of Roman province, they also had emperor worship. They put a great big temple dedicated to the Caesars. No matter what their first name was, they was all called Caesar. Just like Pharaoh was the, just a title given to all the kings over Egypt. And so they had this emperor worship. And those temples dedicated to the worship of Caesar. And believers were threatened with death unless they offered incense to that image of that emperor and say, Caesar is Lord, Caesar is Lord. And when our Lord said here, the seed of Satan, Satan had complete reign 
and power and sat on a seat and ruled this place. Ruled over all these people with their false gods. Ruled over them with their images. Ruled over them. And I tell you, Satan, I know he's God's devil. But I'll tell you one thing, I do know this, that he's out to lie, steal, kill, and destroy, and deceive. And he deceived this whole city. And the only people that's not deceived is the Lord Jesus Christ, people. And he said, if it were possible, if it were possible, they would even deceive the very elect. Ain't you thankful you're one of God's elect? God said, you won't be deceived. You know why you won't be deceived? I won't let you. I brought you the truth and I'm going to keep you in the truth. I taught you the truth and I'm going to keep you believing the truth. He read tonight somewhere did that they, they, you know, Steve did. He said there's a sin unto death. What would that sin unto death be? There's only one sin in the scripture that's unto death. No, no remedy for it, and that's the sin of blaspheming the Holy Ghost. That's the only sin I know of in the Scripture that a man could commit and can never be forgiven of it. And I tell you, then, so these people, here you are, you've got a bunch of believers down here, and they got gods everywhere. Everywhere. And you know, when we come to services, you got crosses everywhere. Stars everywhere. Manger scenes everywhere. Now who's doing that? And so they had this great altar. They also had a great altar to Zeus. He's one of the Greek gods. And no wonder our Lord said, I know where the Satan seat of Satan dwells. And I tell you what, who sent this message? Let's get into this thing and said, who sent this message? Well, it tells us, does. Our Lord Jesus Christ did there in verse 12, He which hath the sharp sword with two edges. He that hath the sharp sword with two edges. Now, every one of these churches, our Lord designates himself in a different way. And the reason he does that is because whatever how he designates himself to that particular church, that's the way they need to be designated to. When he talked to the church at Ephesus, he was the one who held the golden candlesticks and walked in the midst of the churches. When he talked to Smyrna, he talked to the Smyrna church and they had no sin. They was, they was a church that our Lord knew about very, very well. And what he called himself, he said, you're a living church. You're a living church. Nothing wrong with you. So what did he say? Why did he reveal himself? I'm alive. You're a living church. I'm alive. I'm alive. You was dead, just like I was, but I gave you life and you're a living church. So ever how he addressed the churches, he addressed them as the way they just, that it was particular to that particular congregation. And I tell you what, in Pergamos, they were infected with men of corrupt minds, also corrupt minds. And they labored to corrupt the mind of God's people, the manners and faith of Christ our Lord Jesus' church. And what did our Lord say down there in verse 16? He said, I'll fight against them with the sword of my mouth. These people want to deceive my people, want to mistreat my people. 
Well, my people to worship false gods and bow down before Pharaoh and I mean uh, uh, Caesars. He said, listen, he said, I'll fight against them. I'll fight against them. You don't have to, you know, we don't have to fight our battles. Christ doesn't win them for us. And I tell you, he means what he means by saying that he'll fight against them with his sword. He means I'll destroy them. I'll destroy them. And God's word is a weapon. You know this blessed book is a weapon? You know how God conquered the world? He never used a sword. Our Lord conquered the world and went all over this world with the gospel. And there's people all over this world who believe Christ and trust Christ. How did God do it? How did He use His disciples to start preaching the gospel? What did He do? The only thing, weapon that God ever uses is the Word of God itself. He conquered the... How did He save you? We don't have to use a sword. We don't have to use a club. We don't have to use threats. And God didn't either. Whenever they got these men up there and they started saying, he said, every time they got an opportunity, even when they were standing before their enemies, they preached the word. And when he preached the 3,000, they said, men and brethren, what must we do? That's the word. And that's why Christ said, I'll destroy them with the word. And that's how he's going to destroy everybody. And that's how he saves everybody with his word. And so when he talks about using his word, he uses that as a weapon. It's an offensive weapon and a defensive weapon. In God's hands, it's able to slay sin. It's able to slay sinners. It's able to slay everything in us that's not right and true and just. I want you to look with me over here in Hebrews chapter 4. Look in Hebrews chapter 4. Back to your left just a little. Look here, talking about the Word. Our Lord said, you know, I'll come with sharp, sue-edged sword. It's a weapon. The Word's a weapon. Being born again, not a corruptible seed, incorruptible, by the Word of God, by His own will, with the Word. He begat us again with the Word of truth. But look what He said here in Hebrews 4.12. Talking about Christ as a sharp, two-edged sword. For the Word of God is quick. That means it's living. That means it's living. It's living. It's alive, ain't it? It comes and speaks to us with, with life. And it's powerful. Oh, how powerful is God's Word. Oh, it's powerful. And it's sharp. Oh, how sharp it is. Sharper than any two-edged sword. And this word pierces even to the divining of the soul and spirit. It comes right down and lays us right down the middle. And of the joints, it gets into the joints and the marrows. It's like the, like that, like like butcher somebody. And he said, but he'll take this word and does that. And listen to this. And it deserves the thoughts and intents of the heart. I mean, the word comes and it gets in your brain, tells you what you're thinking and what you intend to do. And I tell you what, I I don't know how many times over the years people say, boy, I said, I tell you, I come and I, I wanted an answer to something. Some was talking about something you got there and you preached on that very thing. And then our Lord said, this sharp sword, he said, the sharp sword back over here in Revelations 2. It's sharp. And I'm going to tell you something, when our Lord uses that sword, 
No one's too tough. No heart's too hard. No knot that it can't cut. And it's got two edges to it. It turns every way and just in every way and no place that it can't reach. Christ has that sharp sword. And then look what he says about this church. He takes notice of the church and its trials. And he says down there in verse 13. He said, I know your works. That's the first thing he says. I know your works. I know your works. You know, I talked about this morning. Our Lord drew to those fellows and said, What is it that's making you, what are you talking about that's making you so sad? And our Lord looked at these people. And I mean, they're in an awful, awful circumstances. And the first thing he says to them, I know your works. I know your works. I want you to look in Hebrews 6 with me again. Hebrews 6. You know, our Lord Jesus, our Lord Jesus, He he takes notice of everything. He said, if you give a cup of cold water to a disciple, He said, you'll receive a disciple's reward. Just give a cup of cold water. He watches everything that we do. You give somebody a cup of cold water. Here, if they bring me cold water for every service, sometimes I drink the whole glass. And I'm thankful that it's cold. But whoever gives me that and puts that there, Christ said He notices that. If you give a cup of cold water to one of my disciples, to one of my people, they say, boy, that's that's giving a cup of cold water. Anybody do that? Christ says, when you do it as a believer, I know it. He said, I know your works. Look what he said here in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 10. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and listen to this, labor of love. Oh, why did you do it? Because you showed it toward His name. How did you do that? Because you ministered to the saints. <laughs> That's the difference. That's just a labor of love when you do it towards your saints that have ministered to the saints. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of the hope until the end. You do this all the way to the end. And then I also want you to do this. I see your works. Don't be slowful, but followers of them through faith and patience inherit the promises. So our Lord talked about, He saw their works. He, there was a time they took up a, over in Romans 15, they took up a big offering to send down to the poor saints that were in Jerusalem. And God took notice of that. You know, they gathered up the money to take to the poor saints in Jerusalem. And they were under all awful, awful circumstances. And our Lord says this again to about them over here in Revelations 2. He said this about them. Let me get back over there. Uh, he said this about them. I know your works. I know your works and I know in, in all the awful circumstances you're under. And I know where you dwell in. I know where you dwell. Huh? I know where you dwell. I know where you dwellest at. And he said, I even know where Satan's seat is. And oh my, he watches, he, he says, I know where you dwell. And I know what you're going through at any one 
given time. And then look what he says. Oh, you talk about a condom. Uh, 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 something that's really, really, I've I read this to Shirley tonight. She, that's, that's, she said, that's above our pay grade. But look what it says here. And thou holdest fast my name. He commends their steadfastness. And you have not denied the faith. Now boy, what a commendation of Christ. He said, you hold fast my name. You, and what he's talking about, he holds fast, we hold fast to who Christ is. We hold fast to what he's done. We hold fast, name stands for his character. And I tell you, he had a character as a man, a sinless man, a holy man, a perfect man, righteous man. And then he had a glorious, glorious work that he accomplished. And he washed us from our sins in his own blood. And he went to the cross and put all of our sins away. And I tell you what, we call him Jesus in his manhood. We call him Savior as God our Savior. And I, the Lord Jesus Christ, and I tell you what, holding steadfast unto the very end. And he said, you're not ashamed of your relationship to me. You're not ashamed. When you're standing in front of Caesar, you hold fast my name. When you're standing in front of all them idols and temples, you hold fast my name. Who do you believe? I believe Jesus Christ. Well, you're going to worship Caesar or else. I believe Jesus Christ. Not ashamed of your relationship to me. And what he is telling us, you're not ashamed of who I am. Who I am. We read that there tonight. Brad did. He said, oh, he said he took the scriptures and started in Moses. I'll tell you, I'm going to bring a message. I'm going to take those three things and we'll go to Moses. Deal with Christ two or three things there and then I'm going to go to the prophets. Deal with four or five things there and then I'm going to go to the Psalms and deal three or four things there. And I'll tell you what, we'll get the gospel out of every one of them. Because you can't go no place in this blessed book and not find Christ. And this old doc said this morning, he said, if we don't find him, it's because we can't see it. <laughs> but our Lord said, you've held fast to my name. Oh, remember when we first started here, people called us a cult. They said he started, he said, Donnie Bell started his own religion. People called me on the phone and said, you went off the deep end on predestination. And anybody and nobody would even call me after that. I couldn't get nobody to give me a good name anywhere. But I held fast to the name of Christ and what He taught me. And that's what we're going to do. God helping us, we're going to hold fast to who He is, what He did. And i tell you what, not only what He did, but who He did it for. There's no business telling what he did if you don't tell who he did it for. He didn't do it for the world. He'd done it for his elect. He didn't, when Christ died and he loved people, he didn't love everybody. He loved only his people. And that's what they're saying. Oh, listen, you've held fast my name. 
Stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has made you free. Don't budge from that blessed name. Don't budge from that precious person. Don't budge from the Lord Jesus Christ. Hold fast that name. Stand on that name. That's the only name God will let us speak to Him in. He won't let us speak to Him except in this blessed man's name. Oh my. And I tell you what. And you're not ashamed. You're not ashamed of the fact that not only am I the Savior of the world, but you're not ashamed of the fact that everybody's going to be judged by me some of these days. Not ashamed of that. And look what else he says now. And you've not denied my faith. <laughs> oh, you've not denied my faith. Did you hear that? My faith? Now, what in the world is he talking about? You know, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll tell you what this faith he talked about, my faith. Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I that liveth, but the life I now live, I live by the fa- faith of the Son of God. The faith of the Son of God. Faith has to be perfect. And you and I ain't got that. But he does. And that's whose faith we live by. His faithfulness. And that's what he talks about. His my faith. You've not denied my faith. Not denied who I am and what I do. And then when he talks about my faith, he's talking about, beloved, the blessed truths of the gospel. The blessed truths of the gospel. What we rejoice in and what we believe in. And what we believe. You ask people what faith they are. Oh, I'm a Lutheran. I'm of the Lutheran faith. I'm of the Pentecostal faith. I'm of the Baptist faith. I'm a Southern Baptist. God told me the other day, he said, I was, I've been a Southern Baptist all my life. Southern Baptist, you know, and they got all these different faiths. Nazarene faith, Netherlands Reformed faith, Foursquare faith, Church of God faith, Assembly of God faith. I'm of, you know, I'm of this faith. I'm the whole in this faith. But when Christ talks about faith, He's talking about the gospel and everything that's in that gospel. And you find that gospel in one place in this blessed book and it concerns a person. It's not just what you believe, it's who you believe. Huh? It's who you believe. And I've said it before. Look over here in Jude. You just go back to it's the last book before the book of Revelation. <clears throat> oh, listen. With these blessed truths of the gospel and Christ is the one that's faithful keeps us faithful and that's why we believe him that's why we trust him we rejoice in him and we believe him look what he says there in verse 3 beloved when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend, listen to this now, to, for the faith which was delivered unto the saints. <laughs> God, He brought it to us. He upholds it and He keeps it. And I know this, I know this much about every believer in this building. 
ever believer in this building, you do not look to your faith or your faithfulness. You look to Him and His faithfulness. Everybody in this building tonight does that, that knows Christ. Not one of you is going to look around and say, Boy, I'll tell you what, I'm, I've sure got a lot of faith. Look where I'm sitting at. No, not one of you says that. You say, Oh, no. Why I'm here? Because He's faithful. I'm here because He gave me the faith to be here. Everything, I mean, He did it all. That's what we're talking about here. Oh, my. And I'll tell you something else. Our faith, that what we actually believe, will influence how we act in this world. If I, if I, if, if Christ being faithful to us and what He's taught us in the gospel, if that don't affect how we conduct ourselves in this world and conduct ourselves to one another, then we ain't got any faith. I mean, it, it dramatically changes how you act toward other people. That's it. It does. It does. And then look what he goes on over here and says. He said, oh, listen. You've not denied my faith. Even in those days where in Antipas was my faithful martyr. <laughs> oh, my. Who was slain among you where the devil, where Satan dwells. He called him his faithful martyr. Called him his faithful martyr. This saint sealed his faith, his testimony with his blood. They saw it and they still. They saw these people being martyred. They saw these people being slain. And they still held to the name of Christ. And they still held to and did not deny his faith. And oh my. And then, then he reproves them for their sins and their failures. And he goes in verse 14 and says, But I have a few things against you. A few things. A few things. Over in Ephesians he said, I have somewhat against you. One thing. Here he said, I got a few things. But what are these things? There are them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat the things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. And he removes them, reproves them for their sinless failures. And when he talks about Balaam, now let me tell you about Balaam. You can read it in Numbers 23 through 25, and then in Numbers 31. What Balaam did, he remember how Balaam was going to go, Balak, this Moabite king, said, hired Balaam, a prophet, to go and curse Israel. Well, he'd go to curse Israel, and God wouldn't let him. But he kept going back, going back, going back. He kept going back to Balak, because Balak kept on him to curse. offered him, oh my, said, oh, and God wouldn't let him curse him. So here's what he taught him. He said, I'll tell you what you do. You let your daughters, let, let your sons marry those Jewish daughters. And let those sons marry them Moabitish women and he said you start mixing and mingling them and next thing you know they'll be worshiping idols 
And that's what happened. That's how they, when he talks about fornication, he's talking about spiritual fornication, offering sacrifices to idols. And you can look at that in Numbers 25, 1 and 2. And that's what he did. He taught Balak, said, Balak, since God won't curse Israel, he said, I'll tell you how you can do it. And that's why he says, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And that's what he's talking about here. He said, oh, listen, let's let them mix and mingle, let them mix and mingle. Next thing you know, they'll forget God. They'll go after their gods. They'll go to their altars. And that's the way it is. I've seen it happen too many times. I'm going to marry this person who's a, who's a Catholic, but I'll win him over. No, you won't. No, you won't. I'll marry that fellow that's a Pentecostal. I'll win him over. No, you won't. <laughs> so you won't. Don't do that. And I he reproves them. And remember when when Balaam was on his way one time to go to Balak to curse him, and God God stopped him. You know how he stopped him? An angel stood in front of his donkey. And and he stood in front of that, and, and that donkey wouldn't go anywhere. And it started backing up. And it got back to such a narrow place that finally he bumped up against the wall and, and that thing just laid down. And he started beating it. Just beating the hound out of that. And then that donkey spoke to him. He said, I, I, I've been your donkey for years. <laughs> I haven't done anything to you. <laughs> and, and then God opened his eyes and he saw that angel. And God said, Now, Balaam. Now I'll tell you what the scripture said. God forbade the madness of the prophet through the voice of his donkey. Now ain't that right? Said he's mad. So that's why that happened. And you can go over there and read about it. And so I tell you, you have them that hold the doctrine of Balaam. What's the doctrine of Balaam? You keep paying me, and I'll keep coming, and I'll go over there and tell. I'll go over there and do what you want me to do. But every time he get paid, he'd go over there, and God say, "Nope, you're not going to curse him." He'd go over there again, and he took him all over. He took him I don't know how many different places, and said, "Oh, look down here, and look down there, and look down here," and he paid him. And I'll tell you what, that's what he said. And so he holds those that hold the doctrine. And he called it the doctrine of Balaam. A doctrine, the teaching of Balaam. Cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed unto idols and to marry Moabites and everything else. And then he said, also thou hast him... That hold the doctrine Nicolaitans, things which I also hate. And I tell you, they taught them Jews to eat unlawful things and sacrifice to idols. And I tell you what, though they was filthiness of the flesh and filthiness of the spirit go together. And our Lord calls them doctrines. They followed them. They allowed them. And it's one thing to believe the truth, but you got to also reject a lie. And then look what he done down there now. Verse 16. He calls them to repentance, all of them. Repent, or else I'll come unto thee quickly, and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, those who the Nicolaitans, he said, calls them to repentance, warns them, 
to hear what he said. And I tell you what, then look what he says here now down there. You know, a whole church can, a whole this whole a whole church and a whole a whole bunch of people can suffer over sins of one person if their sins grievous enough. But look what he said here in verse. 17, a word for the conqueror, a word for them that overcome. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh. Oh my. A word for the conqueror here. We're more than conquerors through Christ. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna. Oh my. And I'll give him a white stone. And in the stone a new name written which no man knoweth saving he that receives. And he says, you know, I'll give him that hidden manna. You know, when Christ is called the manna. And you know why he says I'll give him the hidden manna? Because Christ is hid from the world. It's hid from that those Nicolaitans and those Balaamites and that where Satan's seed is they're hid from them he said but oh him that overcometh I'm going to give him that hidden manna I'm going to feed you myself is what he's saying I'll feed you myself I'll give you to eat of the hidden manna and I tell you he's hid from the world he's hid from false religion and he said I'll feed you myself those that overcome and then he said I'm going to give you a white stone a white stone. And in that stone there's going to be a new name written. Nobody's going to know that name but the person who I give it to. And that stone, that stone, that white stone represents the person who receives it. It's like the high priest of Israel. He had the twelve names of the tribes of Israel on each stone. Every stone had a name on it. Christ said, I'm going to give you a stone with a name on it. It's going to be a new name. And you know why it's called white? It represents holiness. Represents beauty. Represents glory. You know why it's called a stone? A stone lasts. A stone endures. A stone's got durability to it. And it it won't perish. So he gives us a new stone. And then look what he says here. And then that white stone. It represents one who's free from guilt. Cleansed from all sins. They used to have trials back in those days, and they had, when the people who'd be the jury there, they'd have white stones and black stones. And when they'd try somebody, if they're found innocent, they'd lay a white stone there. If they're found guilty, they'd lay a black stone. And if you got more black stones than you did white stones, you're guilty. If you got more white stones than you did. So that's how they would do the. In trials. And then he says this new name that's written. And that new name represents a new man. Created in Christ Jesus. And they're the only one who really knows what it is to have a new name and have a new nature. And a new name that stands for our character. We have a new character. A new name. We've been adopted into Christ's family. And when you adopt somebody, they take the name of the family. They take the name of the family. 
Let me show you something in, in Isaiah 62. And I'm going to wind this thing up. Isaiah 62. You know, uh, and this a white stone was for festive days. Black stones represented days of calamity. And every once in a while, a, a big host would have a supper for somebody. And they'd have a special guest. And they'd have a white stone sitting there where they would sit with their name written on it and a message written to them on it. Christ said, I'm going to have a stone with your name written on it and you're going to be the only one who knows that name. The only one who knows that name. Look what he said here in verse 62. Isaiah 62 and verse 2. And the Gentiles shall see thy righteousness and all kings thy glory. And listen to this. And thou shalt be called by a new name with the mouth of the Lord, which the mouth of the Lord shall name. He said, I'm going to give you a new name, and the mouth of the Lord's going to be the one that names it. <laughs> going to come out of his mouth. He's going to give you a new name. A new name. Uh, I tell you what, there's just more than I can get to. Just more than I can get to. I can get off on too many things. But I tell you, this is a. New name. Wonder what name I'll have. Wonder what name you'll have. I tell you who go tell us. Christ is when we get there. <laughs> it don't make no difference what it is right now. We don't need to know it till we get there and he puts our name.